It's just awesome to see this place packed out on a beautiful day. They say in the Midwest to expect attendance to go down in the summer, but look at you guys. You're just packing the house here. And uh, you guys look great, and I'm just so proud of you for seeking God today. Hey, if you're our guest, I'm John, by the way. I get to serve here as the lead pastor. And we want you to know if you're our guest that you're welcome here no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're a believer looking for a church home. Maybe you're a person on a journey deciding if you believe. Wherever you are, you are welcome and wanted here. And here's my favorite thing about Connection Point. As you meet some of these people around you, you'll find that this is a group of people who love people. Uh, It's actually what drew me to move across the country with my family and come to Indiana is that this church has just a special way of loving people. And I hope you'll take the time to get to know some of us and experience that. Wherever you are, we'd invite you to stop by our Connection Corner on your way out today. And if you do that, we've got a special gift for you there. It's a book called I Am Strong, and it's all about finding God in your pain and in your suffering. It's a book that God has used in many of our lives in a big way to just help us connect to Him. So we'd love to give that to you as a gift, and we just want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, there's a God who loves you. Don't give up. He has a good plan for you, and you'll experience that plan as you keep seeking him like you're doing today, and as you keep gathering with other believers like you're doing today. Well, today we're kicking off a series called How To, and in it you'll hear a little bit of our vision where we're going as a church, but you're also going to hear a really practical message about how to follow God in making your dreams come true. And each week in this series, we're gonna be talking about a different area of our lives, like marriage and legacy, and how to get God's best in those areas. So would you just pray with me very quickly, and then we'll watch a little video that introduces the message. Father, we gather here just as we prayed during communion under the work of Jesus. And Lord, as we're about to open up your word, we just now pause to open up our hearts And we ask that you would be our teacher today. We ask that you'd speak to each person in this room and meet each one of us exactly where we are. Jesus, you told this parable that we can build a life on you that is sturdy, or we can build a life on other things that fall apart. And what this series how-to is about is us saying, Jesus, we build our lives on the solid rock of you. Jesus, we lift you up as the head of this church. We are committed to you being our leader, your word being our guide, your spirit being our power, and us living out the love that you have given us one for another. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. There were once two men, one wise and one foolish, building houses. When it came time to lay the foundation of the house, the wise man dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. While the foolish man chose to build his house on the sand without a foundation. Sometime after the houses were completed, a storm blew in. The rain came down and with it a flood. As the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house upon the sand, it collapsed and fell with a great crash. But the house built upon the rock. When the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built with a strong foundation.
Well, we want to help you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, and that's what this how-to series is about. For the whole month of June, we'll be looking at different areas of our lives and saying, how do I build my life on Jesus in this area? Today, I'm going to talk about something that we all have. Sometimes we forget about it. Sometimes we get discouraged and we give up on it, but we all have dreams, We all have things we'd love to do in life. We have visions, we have desires. And here's the question we're asking today. What dream or vision is on your heart? Uh, Maybe you're here and you're a high school graduate and your dream right now is about going to college. Maybe you're further along in life and your dream is about how your kids or your grandkids, how their life will be. Maybe your dream is about your legacy or maybe it's something simpler like, you know, I'd like to lose 15 pounds or I'd like to start a business or, you know, whatever your dream is, I just want you to think right now, what is it? Maybe back in January when the new year started, you had a dream and you kind of got going on it, but life got busy. Today, we're kind of dusting those dreams off and we're going to reclaim them. In my family, I got to see recently what it is to have a dream because my youngest daughter, Evie, she had a dream for this entire last week. You see, Evie got invited to a little party called a unicorn tea party. And she brought home the invitation. She put it in a very prominent place in our house. And I kid you not, every day, breakfast, dinner, all throughout the day, Evie was talking about the unicorn tea party. So she finally got to go to it yesterday. Here's a picture of Evie, my youngest. She's four at the unicorn tea party. So her dream was kind of simple, but man, did, did she have a blast. This was her dream come true. Here's what we're asking for all of our dreams, whether they're as small as a unicorn tea party or as big as creating a legacy. How can you achieve that dream? How can you achieve your greatest victories? Or put another way, how do you follow through on a vision? We as a church are in a a season where God has given us a great vision to steward and take great care of what he's already doing here and to raise up the next generation for him and to reach more people for him even as we shepherd and love the people who are here. And he's given us this vision. How will we follow through on it? How do you make a dream come true? How do you get your dreams done? Well, as always, we look to the Word of God to answer these very real questions in our lives. And today, I want to take you into a true story that's recorded in the book of Nehemiah about a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah is actually a memoir. It's an autobiography. And as I studied Nehemiah, I got so excited that in the fall, we're going to do a deeper series on him. So I'm going to try to hold back a little today. Okay, but here's the deal. Nehemiah was born as a Jewish person, one of God's chosen people, but he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Susa, which is a city that's in present-day Iran, about 770 miles away from Jerusalem. Nehemiah grew up there, and he always heard these stories about Jerusalem, where his ancestors were from, where his identity was. And Nehemiah is going to hear in this story that Jerusalem has been ransacked and pillaged and the walls have been broken down. And let's pick up on the story here in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah's brother has gone to visit Jerusalem and now Nehemiah wants to ask him, how is the city doing? He says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from their captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Nehemiah cares. He wants to know. And they said this to me. They said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. They are our people, the people of our nation, our identity. They're in great trouble. 
They're in disgrace. Our brethren, our, our families are in disgrace. And then they say this, the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, at this time in world history, the walls of a city were everything. It was those big stone walls like you see depicted in some movies. It was those big stone walls around the city that provided protection. So invading armies couldn't just come in and you know, attack your house in the middle of the night. Those walls created economic prosperity. They created identity. Without those walls, a city couldn't prosper. And so what had happened, Jerusalem had been ransacked and pillaged, and now actually generations had gone by, and there were people who were born into the rubble, and all they knew was rubble. And there had not been a leader who stood up and said, hey guys, if we all get together and work together, we could rebuild these walls. Instead, everyone's just living in these broken down homes and living in this area where there's no protection and so invaders are coming and going and constantly stealing and there's no future for the city. There's no hope for the people. Well, Nehemiah, his heart is gonna be broken by this and then he's gonna be stirred to action. And you'll see in the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah experiences emotion about what's broken, but then he turns it over to God and he says, you know what? I'm gonna go and be part of the solution. And Nehemiah goes and he actually goes to this group of total strangers and he inspires them and motivates them to work together to rebuild the walls. And it did happen. Those walls, in fact, you can go to Jerusalem today and there are parts of the wall around the city of Jerusalem that are there because of Nehemiah and what he did. And if you summarize the book of Nehemiah, how did he make that dream happen? You could summarize it this way. Your greatest victories will require grit. Your greatest victories will require grit. They will require follow through. The great things that happen in this world, they never happen by accident. If something magnificent is achieved, somebody suffered for it. And if you didn't suffer for it, someone before you suffered for it. Nothing great happens by accident in this broken world. And Nehemiah showed grit in the literal sense. But you're also going to see that I've made, and you can call me corny if you want, a little acrostic a little acronym of the word grit to summarize four specific things that Nehemiah did and that you can do as you pursue God in the dreams that he's given you. And here's the first, the G of grit is God. And I don't just say that because we're in church. I know my nine-year-old would be like, yeah, dad, of course you said that because we're in church. But actually this comes from the true story of Nehemiah. After his heart is broken about the state of Jerusalem, and the fact that there's no future for his people, and the fact that his people are attacked, he weeps. We're told this in verse four, I heard this and I sat down and wept. In other words, he was so overcome with emotion that he couldn't keep standing. And this goes on for days. For days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. And I want you, as we think about Nehemiah and as you think about your dreams and as we think about our dream as a church, I want us to not skip over the emotion here. You see, Nehemiah, he was deeply broken and he's going to, as he brings this to God, turn that brokenness actually into motivation. Very often where God has a dream for you, God has something big for you to do in the world, it comes out of what's broken and wrong in the world. 
When you can align what breaks your heart with something that breaks the heart of God, you now have the power of God in your life. I've shared as we've talked about this vision of raising the next generation that for me, this grows out of research I had done about the national church that right now in the United States, two out of three young people raised in Christian homes are turning away from the faith by their 30th birthday. It's a nationwide exodus away from Christianity. And it breaks my heart. And here's what we're doing. When our hearts break about something that's wrong in the world, it could be racial injustice, it could be poverty, God's gonna put something on your heart that breaks your heart. It could be something that's broken in your family or in yourself. And God wants to show you his power to rebuild those walls, to redeem, to restore. And so when something breaks your heart, do allow it to be emotional, but then don't just park in the grief. Right? Nehemiah could have parked here and he could have just spent the rest of his life depressed and been like, you know what? Jerusalem's ransacked. There's no hope. I'm depressed. And for the rest of his life, everyone who met him at a dinner party or a family reunion, he'd just be that guy who's like, you know what? There's no hope. But instead, he takes the emotion and he goes to God with it. Just like we're doing with our vision, we're saying, you know what, we can't control the national trend that two out of three young people in Christian homes are turning away from the faith. We can't control that for the country, but we can control what happens for our kids and grandkids. We can do something about it here. And the first G of grit and follow through is taking it to God and saying, God, only you can fix this problem. Maybe it's a problem in your marriage. Maybe it's a problem in your habits. Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe it's a problem in your business. Maybe it's a problem in the world like racism or poverty where God is breaking your heart. And the first G of grit is you go to him and you say, God, you're the only one who can really fix this. I wanna be part of how you're gonna fix it, but really it's the God of heaven who's the only one who can fix this. And I love it that Nehemiah, when he comes to God, he doesn't just say, hi God, nice guy. He says, you're the God of heaven. You control galaxies, you control angels and demons and you're all powerful and you're the God of heaven. So if you can control all that, I know you could rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I know you could have a church that defies the national trend and raises a generation where they love the Lord. I know that in a nation where 4,000 churches a year are closing their doors, you can have a church that is exploding with growth and reaching more people than ever and making deep disciples who are deeply rooted. God, you're the God of heaven. I know what you can do. I wonder where you have a dream or a desire. Have you had a moment of emotional conversation with God like this? For your dream, for your desire. Have you been emotional with God like this? Have you said, God, here's what I want to do, and, and, and Lord, you know, some of it's for my own personality, but God, I want to do this for you. I want to do this for your kingdom. I want to be part of you fixing a broken world. Have you been emotional with God about your dream? Have you connected with him in an emotional way about your dream? Well, Nehemiah's prayer is so rich. We'll just touch on it, but it continues, and he says this, O Lord, God of heaven, Great and awesome God. So do you see here, Nehemiah looks at a problem that he can't fix. He's 770 miles away from Jerusalem. He's working as a cupbearer for a king named Artaxerxes, a pagan king who doesn't care about Jerusalem. Nehemiah is not allowed to leave the palace, let alone even go to Jerusalem, 
let alone if he gets to Jerusalem, he'll be a stranger to everyone there. In his own power, Nehemiah can't do anything to fix the problem, but he goes, the G of grit, he goes to the God who can fix the problem. And if you've got a dream, and the dream is a little bit bigger than you could ever do, those are the best dreams. If the dream's way bigger than you could ever do, those are great dreams because God has to be in it. And Nehemiah, again, he says, you're the God of heaven. You are great and you are awesome. Those words mean you're all powerful. You have the power to rebuild Jerusalem. And Nehemiah then says, God, you're a God who keeps his covenant or his promises. Your covenant of unfailing love for those who love you and who obey your commands. And here's the idea with this word covenant and commands. Nehemiah, in his prayer, is going to start quoting scripture. There were actually ancient prophecies where God had said to the people of Israel, if you turn away from me, your city will get ransacked and pillaged. That had happened. But then in the same passage, God said, but if you ever turn back, the moment you turn back, I will allow you to rebuild your walls and to restore your prosperity. And so Nehemiah, in his prayer, he's going to claim those specific promises of God. And he's going to say, God, I'm coming to you because you're powerful, but I'm also coming to you and I'm claiming your promises. You said that if your people turn back to you, you'll rebuild the walls. And so I'm claiming that promise. And I wonder where you have a dream where God has assigned you to be part of his dream in the world. Have you claimed his promises? Have you claimed the promise of Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it? And so even if you stumble, even if you make mistakes, even if you think, man, I'm trying this Jesus follower thing, I'm trying to be a good Christian, but God can't use me, I'm just too broken, I keep messing up, guess what, you're just like Peter and me and the rest of us. If you sin and make mistakes as a Christian, you're not a messed up Christian, you're a normal Christian, okay, we all do. And if that is standing between you and living out the dream life God has for you spiritually, then claim that verse from Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. You didn't save yourself. He saved you. And he will complete what he began in you. God doesn't leave half-finished projects laying around. Maybe your dream is about raising your kids or your grandkids. Maybe you're here and you have adult children. And you need to claim that promise that says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. In the end, they will not depart from it. Sometimes they veer away. I did. But God brings them back. And maybe you're in a season where you just need to claim that promise. God, my dream for my kids or my grandkids, I've got to start by going to you and say, I need your power and I need your promise. I claim your promise. Nehemiah is going to quote God and say, so God, now do what you said you would do. Maybe you need the promise of Romans 8 that he works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And maybe you need to claim that promise right now because maybe there's some very unpleasant things, maybe there's some outright evil that has happened to you or around you, and you need to claim the promise of Romans 8 that while God is not the author of evil, he is capable to take evil and turn it for good. He works all things together for good, and maybe you just need to claim that promise and cling to that promise. Maybe you're in a place where you've got a decision to make, And you need wisdom, but you don't know what to do. And so you need to claim the promise of James chapter 1 where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let that person ask of God who gives wisdom freely to all people, but ask in faith. My point is this. Whatever your dream is or whatever is breaking your heart, there's a corresponding promise in the word of God. So the first G of grit to 
to heal a broken heart or to fix a broken world or to make a dream come true, the first G is to go to God, claim his power, and then claim a specific promise. Look at this prayer as it continues. Nehemiah says this, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Nehemiah is gonna go into this king a king who has unlimited power, and if people are grumpy in the king's presence, the king can just have them killed. Nehemiah is gonna show that he's sad, and he's gonna ask the king, can I go to Jerusalem to rebuild my homeland? And he says, God, if you're not with me, it's gonna fail. And so I just love the directness of this. Grant me success today. That's a verse that we often pray in my house. We'll say, God, bless the work of our hands today. We want the work of our hands to be your work. Line us up with you and then God bless it. Make the work of our hands successful because what we wanna be about is rebuilding the things you want rebuilt in this world. Where you have a dream, have you sought God like Nehemiah? Any worthwhile dream requires grit. We go to God first and then the R of grit is rhythm. Rhythm or routine would be a less inspiring way of saying it, but rhythm is about this. You do your best and you leave to God the rest. You let your heart be broken, you go to God in prayer, but then you get to work and you create some structures and some systems and some routines to say, God, I can't do it without you, but I can do what you've given me capacity to do. So with the mind you've given me, with the body you've given me, with the heart and will you've given me, I will apply myself to fix this problem in my life or in the world, and you don't just talk about it, but you define what you're gonna do, and when you're gonna do it, and where you're gonna do it. You notice the specificness of this? It's very specific, it's not just this general, well, I think I might start a business someday. It's, you know what, I'm gonna start this business at this time in this place. It's not generic like, well, I think maybe I'd just like to be a better husband, It's, you know what, I'm gonna make my wife a cup of coffee every morning at 7.45 and bring it to her. And it's, it doesn't have to be as big of a step as you might think, but it's an incremental step and you do it consistently. Here's a little fill in that you can use for whatever your dream is. I will blank at this time for however long on these days. You know, research shows that people who wanna lose weight, if they just leave a meeting saying, I would like to lose some weight, they're not likely to be successful. But if they leave and they say, I will exercise at 5 p.m. for 45 minutes on every other day, then they're very likely to. The point is this, whatever your dream is, the more specific of an action plan you can have, the more likely you are to actually have results. So I've told some of you, my son Jack, he's nine, I've given him this motivation to read through the New Testament. And the motivation is this, I'm bribing him, okay? Once we get through the New Testament, we're gonna drive down to Florida and see crocodiles and alligators, which are two of his favorite things in the world. So so he's motivated. But here's the thing, as a coach, as a leader, as a dad for him, I didn't just give him a Bible and say, okay, let me know when you're done. I know that this is how all of us actually get things done. So we've created this routine and here's the blanks for him. It's I will read one chapter. He reads one chapter every day at bedtime. We don't ever have to, you know, it's not like, oh, when am I gonna get around to it? It's a routine. There's nothing wrong with routines. You actually get a lot done with routines. I'll read one chapter at bedtime for as long as it takes to read a chapter. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 10. On, in in this case, it's every day. 
Okay, so do you see how you could fill in the blanks? Or for my daughter, Evie, with the unicorn tea party? You know what hers was? I will talk about the unicorn tea party. <laughs> see, a four-year-old can do this, okay? I will talk about the unicorn tea party at every moment of the day <laughs> for as long as I'm allowed to speak on every day of the week, okay? <laughs> that was Evie's. But the point is, from something as small as a unicorn tea party to something as big as this vision that we're doing together as a church to raise the next generation, to reach people digitally, to take care of this amazing facility God's given us, we have specific action plans that are part of the grit that gets it done and makes it a vision that actually comes to completion. Well, I wonder, how could you apply this to your dream? Your dream might be something just super positive or it might be something where your heart's broken and now you're in a place of saying, you know what? With God's help, I'm gonna do something about where my heart is broken. Well, the eye of dream, the eye of grit rather, is inspiration. Inspiration. These all come from Nehemiah's story and as I said, I'll unpack in a future sermon series all the scriptures behind this. They're noted on your outline. Inspiration is so necessary because any good dream will face obstacles. And as Nehemiah, first he had the obstacle of the king and he prays and God gives him favor with the king. And the king actually says, take with, take with you a whole royal regiment and take these letters from me and even take construction materials and tools. You have my blessing. And, and so Nehemiah goes. He passed the first obstacle. As soon as he gets there, there are three villain characters who do not want the walls rebuilt because they're profiting off of these people. And they, these three people are a thorn in Nehemiah's side through this entire project. Not only that, once the project gets going, there's internal division. People start infighting. Nehemiah faces obstacle after obstacle. And the reality is, if you have a worthy or worthwhile dream, you'll face some obstacles. And when they come, don't let them discourage you because that's normal. It's okay if it gets you down for a day, but don't let it keep you down because it actually means you're making success. And so that's why you gotta have inspiration. You gotta keep the vision before your eyes. Let me give you four things from Nehemiah's life that he did when discouragement could have paralyzed him, but instead he allowed it to be a springboard for him. First, remind yourself there are no triumphs without troubles. So when you set out to follow God in something and trouble strikes, it doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. It probably means you did the right thing. No one has achieved anything great without overcoming troubles. Second, let the need or the problem motivate you. We saw this in verse four when Nehemiah weeps before God and where his heart is broken, he could have camped and parked in that depression, but instead he said, God, where my heart is broken, I look to you to actually do something and I'm gonna go be part of it. So where there's pain, where your heart breaks, where there's unsettledness, turn that into motivation. You do that by going to God, just like Nehemiah did. Third, you visualize success and you celebrate milestones. In a moment, we'll look at a, a passage in Nehemiah 4, verse six, where all the people have worked together and they've got the wall all the way around the city. They've got it up to about the halfway mark. And Nehemiah pauses to celebrate. He says, guys, look at this. The wall is halfway done. And then he visualizes for them, here's what it's gonna be like as we all keep working together and get it done. Fourth, keep the vision before your eyes and keep it in your daily prayers. Nehemiah, all through this book, he's gonna go back to God in prayer every time he hits an obstacle. 
You know, every obstacle is an opportunity, truly, as a follower of Jesus. Just the other day, my seven-year-old, she spilled her yogurt all over the table. It was like one of those like half milk, half yogurt things that they drink out of a straw. It's just a disgusting mess, you know? And it's one of those moments where, you know, like cry over spilled milk, right? What, what can you do? And everything in you in the moment is like, oh, why'd you do that? But God gave me the grace. Truly, I'm not making this up in the moment. This sounds corny. I don't always do this, okay? But in that moment to say, hey, this is an opportunity. <laughs> and you know what? You can always say that because it is. Everything is uh, when you're a follower of Jesus. And, it, and I said it, and then I had to figure out, what is this an opportunity for? <laughs> Zoe, this is an opportunity to learn how to clean up things that have milk or sugar in them. They are sticky after, so here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And she got to learn, right? We had an opportunity. Every obstacle truly is an opportunity as followers of Jesus. And Nehemiah faced so many, but he always turned to God in them. And we're about to celebrate some of these milestones in our Greater Things vision. But first, I want to give you a picture of visualizing success, okay? Here's a map that Jack and I drew up for his New Testament Bible reading. And this might not be legible, but these are different books of the Bible, like 2 John and 3 John. We're not there yet, but here's us working our way through Acts and Romans. And it's just this map. So every time he finishes a chapter, he's able to check one off, and it shows him visual progress. And if you're a visual person like me or most people, it really helps where you've got a God-given dream or a dream that you believe God would want to bless to have some visuals in your bedroom or in your bathroom or in your prayer journal and some ways that you're marking off success and just keep the dream before your eyes. That's why when you walk into the lobby, you see this big greater things wall on the left. So that as we all get busy with our lives and we're all going about normal life, a year from now, we're not like, oh, what was that vision thing? No, it's right there on the wall for the next two years. And if you're one of the people who have filled out a commitment card and you've put one of these jars on the wall for the next two years, you get to see that and be reminded that we have a dream collectively. We have a dream collectively. Well, here's a summary of that dream. I, this quote really sums it up. On our watch, the kingdom of God will expand. This church was started in 1837, and what we're saying is that in our generation, we're going to make sure the kingdom of God continues to expand. That starts in the hearts of our children. We're aware of what's happening nationally. We understand that it's not easy as a young person to grow up in this day and age and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of pressure against that. And so aware of that, we're not paralyzed by that, but we've gone to God with it. And we've said, we're going to get to work about it. And so even though I think we've already got the strongest kids in student ministry in the area, we're going to invest even more in it because we want to raise up a generation that outdoes us in their faith. Secondly, we see that God is blessing through the technology of the internet. We don't fully understand it, but God allowed us to be born at this time in history. And in the last year, he increased the number of people who watch our message online to where, while we've got more people in the building than ever before, we'll often have three or four times as many people watching online. And so what we want to do is actually create two-way communication so these people are not merely watching a message, but they're learning how to follow Jesus. They're being baptized. They're being taught the Christian truths. And then third, we want to be faithful with this amazing facility that God has entrusted to us. 
The mortgage on it is not an unhealthy mortgage, but it's a mortgage that if we could pay it down, we'd be in a place of freedom. And we want to pay it down for future generations as well as future opportunities that we know God is going to bring to us. Well, I've got to tell you guys two incredible stories of how God is already doing this. And then I'm going to update you on where we are financially within this. But first story has to do with the next generation. If you've looked through the vision booklet, you might remember this paragraph about investing in the next generation. And there's a sentence that says, preparing their minds as well as their hearts. In other words, we want them to know their identity and their love for Christ and that it's about relationship and loving people. But we also want them prepared that if someday they meet a person who says, oh, Christians are anti-intellectual, that they're prepared to know that Isaac Newton one of the smartest people who's ever lived, according to Albert Einstein, was a follower of Jesus just like me. So was Martin Luther King Jr. So was Harriet Tubman. So were most of the founders of the scientific revolution, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. But the point is this. We want to raise them up to really know their faith. Well, I've got to just share with you guys, God has given us an incredible life change story just in the last month that shows that he's already doing this. And the story actually starts with a dad there's a dad who was here during our Jesus Loves Me series, and when we taught about what Jesus did on the cross, this dad came up to me afterwards in tears. It was actually a baptism Sunday. He said, I'm not ready to get baptized yet, but I'm believing today. And I mean, he was just emotionally, God was working in his heart. He said, I've been attending church for 10 years, but I've never believed it for myself before. Today, I really believe Jesus is God. Today, I really believe he died on the cross for me. Today, I ask him for the forgiveness of my sins, and I get it. It was just this breakthrough moment for him. Well, I paired him up with a brother in our church who's discipling him, that is, teaching him the Christian basics. And as they were praying, one day I was praying with them, and we said, how can we pray for you? John is his name. He said, pray for my daughter. She's 15. She's gone to church her whole life. But she's told me that she's not sure if Jesus really lived. She's not really sure if it's true because she lives in this world that kind of says it's not, but mom and dad say it is. And I said, well, um, is she a reader? He said, yes, she is. Well, um, part of this, that my challenge as a leader is that every part of this vision, there's like a drop-down menu and there's like a whole binders of stuff that we have planned, but I can't share all that in one message. One of those binders under this is a project for our young people called Jesus Skeptic. And it's all about them knowing the historic validity that Jesus lived and how his followers have made the world a better place. So I had an early draft of that book. The book will come out in October. And I gave it to this guy, John. And I said, if your daughter's a reader, have her read this. And I'd just love to know what she thinks. Because if she's doubting and she doesn't think it's true, that's exactly who this is written for. Well, guess what happened this last Wednesday? His daughter, Katie, stopped by my office, and here's a picture of Katie. And uh, she brought the book back and said, hey, there's some notes in here for you. I really enjoyed it. And I said, oh, great. You know, what did you, what did you think of it? She said, well, when I started reading the book, I was a skeptic. She said, but now I'm a believer. And so Katie, yeah, yeah, praise God, right? He's the one who does the work. He's the one who gets the credit. But here's what's awesome. Katie and her dad, they're both getting baptized today. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And here's what was so encouraging to me because I've stepped out in faith is, you know what? Katie's the first young person to read this as a skeptic that I know of. 
And she represents one of thousands that we're already praying for, both within our church, young people who are growing up, and internally they're wondering, does this stuff really work? Is it really true? And many others that God's gonna reach through our young people. And God allowed in his perfect timing to rescue Katie, but also for it to happen right now so that we can see early on in this vision, you know what, God is in it. The Spirit of God is working and the Spirit of God is moving. I gotta tell you a similar story. You might remember under the digital part of our vision that we shared this map of the United States. And it shows where our regular viewers are around the country. And we talked about the Chicago cluster, how that's about 600 regular viewers. And that our vision with digital is not really about digital, it's about people. And just like this building is a bridge that connects us to people, digital is a bridge that connects us. They're watching our messages, but we want to get in relationship with them through technology. We wanna start discipling them. Well, guess what? During that same series, Jesus Loves Me, we got a phone call, and it was uh, from a couple who live in Colorado. They live in this bubble right here, just left of Denver. They live there, and they watch our live stream every Sunday at 11.15. And they said, well, we were watching Jesus Loves Me. God has been really using this church in our lives, and we realized we need to get baptized. They said, can we fly in and get baptized at Connection Point? We said, yeah, that'd be awesome. They said, when's the next baptism weekend? We said, June 1st and 2nd. So they were here last night. Here's a picture. I got to meet them right before they got baptized. This couple is part of our church from their living room in Colorado, and they flew in to get baptized. And I believe God timed this out just right so that we can see, we of little faith, that as we invest in this area, We've barely invested in 2018. Did you know that a year ago this week, the live stream didn't exist? We started it next week a year ago. It's only one year old. And already God's using it. And we've invested very little in it. What if we actually built a team around that and actually gave it the attention of a serious ministry? I believe this couple is the first of many who we will see God transform as we step out into this greater things vision. Well, where are we in the vision? I wanna celebrate that our biggest goal was participation in this. And here's where we are. The number of commitments right now is just over 1,000 commitments. And that's not a round number. It actually, it's probably more now, but last night it was 988. And I was praying, I was like, oh God, I'd love it to be at 1,000. And guess what? Eight came in during last night's service. And then I said to the team, can we check online? Four more came in online. It's exactly a thousand. So, okay. <laughs> but here's what's awesome. So, and a lot of those are families. Like one of the thousand might be a family of five or a family of four or, or married couples. So um, 300 of those are brand new donors at Connection Point. In other words, we talked about the curious, the fringe, and that this vision is a chance to step into the middle and become part of the committed core. 30% of these commitments are from people who had never given a dollar or a cent here before. Isn't that amazing? And, and what it's about is it's about our heart relationship with God and saying, God, just like Nehemiah stepped out, I'm gonna step out. And, and just like Jesus followed the Father to the cross, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna sacrifice myself to be part of what he's doing in the world. Now, just to put this in context, this church has done some other big campaigns in the past. The last biggest campaign, the record of commitments was 778. So I just wanna put that in perspective for you guys, that a year and a half after a transition, 
we have more people in our committed core than we've ever had before. Isn't that amazing? God is at work and he's, he's using those of you who've, those of you who've been so faithful through the transition and, and I could almost cry at just what God is, what he's doing here. So what does this mean financially? Well, again, keep in mind, the goal is what God is gonna do. It's not any one number, but we do have a specific action plan and that action plan has specific costs. And on those three areas of paying down the mortgage, investing in the next generation, reaching more people like the couple from Colorado, the plan, action plan that we have has a price tag of $8.3 million additional over the next two years. So this campaign starts uh, this month, June, and it goes for 24 months. So if you're praying about joining, it's a two-year commitment that you're praying about. Of the 1,000 who've handed in these commitment cards, we're right at $6 million, which is just about three quarters. So we're about 75% of the way there. And I just have to say, guys, I am so proud of you guys. Uh, I'm really humbled to get to be part of this. And uh, I know for me and Mel, what we committed was a big sacrifice for us. And I know for many of you it was as well. And it's gonna take grit for us all to follow through on these commitments. But seeing this number and seeing the number of people who've made it happen so far, for me as a leader, I can't tell you what it does for my heart. It just lets me know, like Nehemiah, when he showed up there at Jerusalem and the walls were torn down, he was God's man, he was available, but he could not have done it without the people. And it's the same with our vision here as a church. We can't do it without you. And here's what I wonder, maybe God brought you here today to be one of the gap closers. Maybe he brought you here today to be one of the people who, who says, you know what, I was kind of aware this was going on, or I've been kind of waiting to see how it shook out, but today God's calling you to be one of the gap closers and to make up this difference. If you've been waiting or uh, if you've been on the fence, now's a great time to join in with the rest of your church family. I know some of you are in a place where you say, I want to be part of this, but I don't know for sure what my income will be. And if that's you, I'd encourage you, you can fill out a commitment card today and you can make a commitment to God that just says, you know what, 5% of my increase or 10% of my increase. I don't know over the next two years what my increase will be. Maybe you farm or maybe you work on commission. If you don't know what it'll be, you can still have a jar on that wall. You can still make a commitment before God and just say, God, five or 10% of whatever you increase me, that I will return back to you. So many have stepped up and so many are stepping out in faith. I love this verse from Nehemiah 4, verse 6. It's kind of where we are. It says, at last, the wall was completed to half its height. Now, in our case, we're at 73% of its height. So we're even a little bit further along. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. And I just want to say, way to go, you guys, um, with where we are. And I'm so excited for where we're going. I know you're doing this for God, and we're doing it for our kids. I couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. And that's the T of grit, is that it takes a team. It takes a team to get a God-sized dream done in your life. This is true for us as a church. It's also true for you. You need a team, even if it's just two or three close brothers or sisters who are praying with you about that dream and they're walking with you and they're saying, God, open the right doors. God, make our work successful, just like Nehemiah prayed. You know, there are dreams of our own choosing and then there are dreams that God has for us, which are often more fulfilling. 
You know, as a kid, I dreamed of working in Detroit and designing cars. I never woke up as a kid and said, someday I want to lead a church and raise the next generation, you know. I never said that as a kid, but guess what? God had dreams for me, and God has dreams for you. Psalm 139 says, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows exactly what will fulfill you, what will bring you joy, and the purposes that he has for you are far more fulfilling than the dreams that you come up with on your own. God had a dream for a little boy named Nehemiah who'd never been to Jerusalem, that he would send him to Jerusalem and he'd use him to rally the people, to rebuild the walls, and with it, rebuild their economic security, their future generations, their name, their well-being, their very nation. Do you have a team? Nehemiah couldn't have done it without the people and I can't do it without you. We can't do it without you here. God planned from eternity past that you would be part of this movement of his right now. And he planned it from eternity past knowing that he'd give you just the right resources to be part of making his dream come true. And it's as all of us unite our resources from the widow's might on up to those who, to whom much is given, much is required. It's all the same in God's eyes when it's a sacrificial act of worship. And as we work together, God's gonna make this dream happen. So that's my last question for you. Are you on this team? Are you on this team? And if you're here and you've already made that commitment, I just wanna encourage you to follow through with grit like the elders and I will. If you're here and you are on the team but you haven't made your commitment yet, please be a gap closer this weekend. And if you're here and you're still deciding, maybe even though this wasn't a salvation message, God's been working in your heart and like John who trusted in Jesus back in March and his daughter Katie who trusted in Jesus more recently, maybe for you joining the team today is about being baptized and saying, you know what, I'm publicly on Jesus' team. I'm part of his movement. Well, let me pray that for us and then we'll move on with our service. Father, I know you're working in our hearts here and we just, we don't wanna rush it. We wanna give you some space to move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us, each of us as followers of Jesus. You lead us into the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And God, I just pray across this room, Lord, you have the ability to meet each of us right where we are Lord, some people in here, they're hurting, they're wounded, they're in need of a church home, and for them, their next step is just saying, you know what, through the summer, I'll just be faithful at a church, and I'll just allow God to heal me. For others of us, Lord, we're here, and we've seen you working in us, and around us, and through us, and Lord, we're going to follow through on this vision with grit. We're going to see it through to completion. Lord, others in our midst today, they're part of this church family, their hearts are all in, they just either haven't had the opportunity yet or they've been kind of waiting and praying to close the gap and you timed it all out perfectly so they could be here today and close that gap. God, we just surrender the next step in each of our hearts, whatever it is. Lord, for anyone in this room who hasn't yet been baptized, um, we know that we've got believers, new believers scheduled today, but maybe there's some others who you're gonna work in their hearts. And as these baptisms happen, we're gonna see people taking physical steps of faith and we're gonna worship you together. And I guess what I'm praying, God, is just would each of us be taking a step toward you in this time, whatever it looks like in our lives, 
Give us the willpower to do that. Draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.